Okay, so you found yourself back in Brazil. Yep. How, like, how long did it take you to work yourself to a point where you wanted to come back here? Or when you felt you were ready to come back here or had that opportunity? Ten, ten years. Wow. That was longer than I expected. Yeah. Uh, ten years trying to build a career that was successful enough that I could come back and uh, show, you know, immigration that I had actually done some really big stuff and you know stay here get a green eventually get a green card and all right. that so so what was your when you were when you were working at the studios in brazil were you just concentrating on recording or did you start doing live work as oh, well no i well i started working at this little studio and one of the guys that worked there had a band and it you know he was leaving because he joined the band in a different state it was it was a six hour drive or something and he's like, man, my band needs a sound guy. You want to come do this? I was like, sure. <laughs> I had no experience doing any of that. And I went out and, you know, for two years, no, for almost two years, I worked with them. The craziest shit you can imagine. The worst little bars and tiny little venues and screwed up PA and whatever console was available uh in front of the stage behind the stage in the kitchen whatever uh we've seen all those places in the u.s yeah <laughs> so um yeah so every thursday night i get on a bus and take the bus to that city where he, they were at and then we tour all weekend and then i get back on monday and go to the studio and make uh you know little records on the 001 system wow. um yeah and that that was that for about two years and then the other engineer at the studio who toured he actually toured with a uh, a band there that was very successful he was he was touring with this other band this uh chick singer who was who had a a, a single out and was doing well but he got an offer with a bigger band that was doing really well at the time. And he's like, dude, I need to go do this other band. You, you pick this up and you know, it, it'd probably be good for you. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll go do that. Well, about a month into it, she has a number one single and everything just wow. went nuts. And you know, we go from, venues that will hold 300 people to 3,000 to 30,000, you know, in a year. We're playing like stadiums and shit. Right, so you went from like a 32-8 or a, or a ghost console to now mixing yeah. at a huge level. Yeah, you know. And, I mean, there's a process in the middle. Uh, Brazil's not really structured like here. Uh, that you, you know, I have my gear set aside at Claire. I can go see it whenever I want. It's always the same thing. It's, it's not the same in Brazil. You know, it's always, it doesn't matter how big you are. It's whatever PA that place has and whatever company is doing that. And you try to get, well, have this console, this console or that console. And this is all analog at the time. Yeah. So, you know, I have XL4s and, uh, there was an AMEC. I love that AMEC because it had recall, and nice. and it had a little floppy drive. 
So you could, you could save your analog desk recall into a fly. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, state of the art. Boom. And uh, just how late things are. And then the digital consoles came in. Towards the end of that, uh, those three years that I toured with that band. And uh, yeah, then you you have you had to have a I forget I forget what it was like what you know it looked something that looked like one of those uh, camera cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those oh man, those first digital desks were awful. They were terrible, and it was just and nobody could figure them out. You know, there was well some- because there were also no like. LED screens. It was still LCD display. Oh yeah, and you, so and, and you, and you had to hit buttons, like much like the Yamaha that I worked on. And I mean, a, a big festival console that they had in Brazil was the Yamaha PM1D, and I could figure that thing out easily because I'd been on this O2R for so long. Right. So that was that was cool. And then you know, all the different changes in line arrays and you know you, you go from these trap boxes like the eaw kf 850s um that were like a you know rocking box but just crazy weird and all kinds of phase issues to these line arrays and it's like what the fuck is this thing you know <laughs> and you have to understand how all that works and how to get the sound you want out of that thing and and then figure out that some of those things don't really work for what you're doing, you know, and, and the, sometimes the cheaper box is better for what you're doing than the high end L acoustics, uh, V dosk at the time that everybody's raving about. It's like, man, this thing doesn't rock. <laughs> I can't, I can't get it to rock. So. Wow. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. 10. Well, okay. So three years into that thing, they decide, that um, whatever I was doing wasn't great. They needed another guy. Um, I was like, you know what? Fair enough. I'm done with this too. So <laughs> yeah, I've had enough as well. <laughs> enough of this rock tour. Uh, I, I was gone like all the time. It was terrible. Um, you know, bad buses. You can't eat. There's no bunks. It's just it's hard to explain it would take five hours to explain touring in brazil um so i because i was with that band i met a lot of people and then transitioning into big studios at that point when i left or when i was asked to leave (laughs) was uh, a lot easier so finally i ended up uh working in big studios i met a bunch of people and i I got a job at a uh, studio that was owned by a record company and I did a bunch of work there uh, for a lot of TV stuff, you know. Um, And then someone I met there took me to this even bigger studio that had a huge SSL, 72 input SSL and then uh, 80 input SSL downstairs. And that's always been my console of choice, SSL, uh, because of, Bob Clare Mountain. And yeah, that was uh, kind of how all of that happened until I was able to say, hey, you know what? Enough of this. I, I think I, I'm pretty sure if I go to the U.S., I could still do the same thing and do all right over there. 
So what band um, helped you out or what studio helped you out um, going on this, on this side up north? Yeah. The, the, the there's, a, there was a studio, which I think they reopened it. It's called mega in, in Rio. Uh, had the two SSLs upstairs was the 4,000 downstairs was 9,000. Um, and I got hired to do a, uh, like a live DVD type thing for, for an artist from the nineties called John Cicada. Oh yeah. You remember that guy? Of course. Of yep. course. He was all yeah. over the radio here. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, he wanted to do a, apparently he has a huge fan base in Brazil and they wanted to do a live DVD of him in Rio. Well, guess what? I was the only guy who could speak English. And that Brit, that British elementary school came in handy. Man, it was, it's been great. Well, actually I went to elementary school in American school and at an American school. And then in fourth grade, I moved to the British school as very, all, all very traumatizing stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I met these guys and worked with him and it was, you know, turned out, you know, better than he expected from, you know, guys in Brazil or whatever. You got to put his, that on your discogs. <laughs> yeah. And his manager who became a good friend of mine was the guy who was like, Hey dude, you know, you should, you should go to do this stuff in the U S and he actually he had a company and he signed for all of the paperwork and hired me to come here on a one visa. In That's awesome. 2011. And yeah, we did. Very good. And you went straight to Nashville. Yep. Straight to Nashville. My wife and I. Very uh, good. So tell us about those early U S studio years. Some of the projects you worked on, maybe some of the gear, Oh, you got to you got to work with the first time around, right after school, or uh, no? Uh, when, when I came here back. ten yeah. years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, I still had a lot of work from from Brazil at the time, um, but you know, I had to prepare to not make any money for like a year at least, you know, and so I set up a tiny little studio at my house that we are renting you know just cheap m audio stuff uh i still have my m audio speakers that i mixed on for years nice. um and i was doing a lot of online stuff for brazil you know getting tracks uh we transfer and mixing and sending back um that first yeah that first year i had a i had a number one hit there um that was wow. mixed on M audio speakers <laughs> uh, with an M audio interface. Av Avid has to love hearing that. Oh, geez. Yeah. I don't love Avid that much. Uh, <laughs> I've Seriously, I've bought their product about 10 times already, and they keep making me buy it again. Yeah. This episode not brought to you by Avid. No. <laughs> no. Sorry. If I could, if I was smart enough to figure out how to use logic, I'd be on that. Dude, I'll teach you. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I, yeah. I taught him. I actually it, spent, I spent a bunch of time trying to figure out logic 
and there's a bunch of stuff it doesn't do yeah. that I'm really used to. And it's yeah, like, it oh, shit. It, it doesn't, not without uh, a whole lot of coaxing and extra plugins and, and so on. I got to yeah. tell you, I tried to go the other way. I had been using Logic since 2000. 2002 like i had a pc version of logic i was using it on on a, on a pc um and did some great recordings with it and then just segued the beautiful thing about logic is the exact opposite of your issue with avid i think yeah. i bought one version of it and up i just continued to upgrade i know it's, it's amazing it's, it's pretty awesome it's awesome it's like 200 bucks sounds great that yeah, does noticeably it's like, oh, this is really great. Then you try to work with it, you know, in, in the fast-paced stuff that I have to do. And it's like, nope, I can't. No, it's it. not as flexible as Pro Tools. That's for damn sure. Or maybe it's too complicated. And Pro Tools is just made for dumbasses like me. <laughs> you know, just like, oh, I, I can do this. Anyway, but uh, here I am making records for Brazil. I have one friend in town who I know from the studio years, you know, he was a full on assistant at that time. And I was, you know, making coffee and cleaning bathrooms. And I, I'd used to stay and help him set up sessions on my own time because I want to learn more sure. from him. Uh, that studio had two Neve desks that I didn't know very well. And it had an API desk. I didn't know that either. And, you know, the SSL stuff I was very familiar with. They had like three SSLs and I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, so this guy, Drew Ballman, who's a big engineer here now, um, he says, dude, you, you, you got to meet these guys um, that they work with this band in town called the Time Jerks. Every Monday night they play at this club. You got to go see them. They're awesome. And I'm going to introduce you to these these guys, who knows? Maybe you know their front of house guy needs a, a, you know, someone to fill in for him once in a while or whatever. Like, okay, well let's go, let's go see that. So I, you know, I go there and he introduces me to front of house guy, and you know the time jumpers. At that point, and not anymore, but at that point, one of the singers in the band was Vince Gill. Wow. And wow. to this day, the steel player in the band is. Paul Franklin. Oh, wow. And they play this little club in town, you know, 500-seater uh, club that's, uh, or 400, um, called Thurn Lindsley. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it, it's just like 12 guys on stage, and they're playing Western Swing. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Man, I'd love to do this. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I get a call from dude, and he's like, uh, yeah, so Drew tells me you're a great uh, live audio engineer. It's like Drew has no idea. He's never heard shit I've done, but yes, <laughs> yes, I've I've done a lot of that. Drew <laughs> sure is an ally. Oh, dude, Drew is just a beautiful human being. Uh, so there I go, you know, and I show up and I mix the time jumpers, and. Then I mix them again another, another night. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I mix them again. And, you know, the house guy was like, man, it sounds really good when you're here. Um, and, wow. you know, and at the end of the night, you help me pack up all the cables and microphones. The other guy just <laughs> leaves. Like, well, man, I don't know, man. I, I see you doing it. I'm not going to leave you doing it by yourself. 
It's like, oh, that's great. Hey, you want to work here once a week? We need someone to fill in Thursday nights. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I want. Mm. I'm going to work here. You know, I make fixed little amount of money that pays for my rent and then everything else I do. I mean, this at this point, it's like, you know, barely making it, you know, bringing money in from Brazil. There's all these taxes and the exchange rate and all that stuff. But, you know, even though I'm doing good things in Brazil, it's like very tight, right? So I get this job at Third and Lindsley, and I'm just mixing bands and bands and bands every night. It's a different thing. Start filling in a whole bunch for 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 other people at the club. Great experience, you know, meeting a whole bunch of people. And then one day, I'm at the gym, uh, running on the treadmill, and I get a call from Drew Ballman. Uh, and I, you know, I stopped and I'm like, dude, what's up? And he goes, man, I'm, I'm at this studio and we're doing a little thing here for like a hundred people. And well, there's speakers out in the room and I can't get this microphone to stop feeding back. And you do this live sound thing. Can you, do you think you could come over and help me get this thing to stop feeding back? Cause I need to record this and I need to get this sound to these people. And I was like, well, sure, just, you know, I'm going to go home, take a shower, you give me the address, and I'll, I'll meet you there. And it was Cheryl uh, Crow's studio. And wow. it was a, a thing, a, a record release thing for some magazine event, some, some crazy thing like that. And I saved her all night, I fixed the problem. Uh, it happened, I'm, you know met a bunch of people and he started recommending me to go work there when he couldn't, you know, just do little overdubs and things. And yeah, I've been here 10 years this time and I've been working for Cheryl for eight years. So it's like, wow. right, you know, second year here, I was already getting some work there. That's awesome. Crazy. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah, great that's story. Awesome. So Cheryl's studio Cheryl's players, right? So I've seen the band live before I knew you, looking forward to seeing them probably more intimately now that I do know you, because I'd love to be, you know, I've, I told you I've had some conversations with Peter. Um, oh, I, would, I would love yeah. one day to really see Peter and, and Audley's gear, but it's one of the loudest stages I've ever heard. Um, and I've heard some loud stages. So in the eight years that you've been with Cheryl and with her players, what's some of the coolest gear that you've got to record? I mean, you ever record a Dumble? A Dumble? No. Okay. Now, she has a ton of amps, like a lot of like old stuff. Um, she has two uh, Harvards. That, that look like they came out of a box. Wow. Um, I mean, man, I wish I had a list of all the gear. I mean, there's so much <laughs> gear, so much gear, so many guitars, you know. Um, so what are some of your favorites? Give us give us some of your favorite setups that you've, um, that you've been able to, to help them create well, their amazing sound with. Um. Well, there's, you know, I, I worked in the studio. I've worked in the studio for eight years. On the road, I started in 2018. But, you know, in the studio, 
we usually, you know, she has all these amps and it rotates so much. It's, <laughs> it's hard to remember, but you know, AC 15s, there's an AC four, um, wow. you know, you know, the little suitcase one with yeah. the, yeah. yeah. Oh dude, that thing is badass. Um, and then she has, a. you know, oddly plays a lot, a 335 that she has, but now she has a 355 with, a um, Bigsby. Nice. And apparently it's like a rare one because it's it's mono and 355s were stereo. I don't know too much about this, but yeah, that's you what, know, that's you're what doing I've been great. Told. You're doing great. Keep going. And you know, and he usually plays those guitars through the Vox. It's like some old Vox AC15. But she has like the black ones, and she has one that's like more square with the handle up top, and it's like cream. Right. And it's that thing is badass too um man i i didn't get to work with peter till later because peter lives in in atlanta right and so you know when we do records over at cheryl's it's mostly oddly fred the, the drummer uh jeff her co-writer who plays some guitars and and cheryl playing bass and that's that's, awesome. that's kind of how we start records over there and what, uh, are, uh, what are what are what are the bass amps that she's using because uh, she uses b15 like b15 b she uses the she uses an old 50s p bass and then she has a 60s p bass with flat wounds on it that sounds pretty cool yeah uh that's all over um the uh, casey musgraves uh, golden hour record which you engineered? Um, I I was the assistant on it, sorta, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> uh, they let, Cheryl let them use her studio. I just, you know, with uh, the stipulation that you yeah. would be there to oversee it. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's what happens. Um, anyway, that P bass through the B fifteen, you know, and I take. Di sometimes a sans amp pedal, you know the 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 old one with the with the little switches. Oh yeah. Uh, yep. What is that called? I think the new one is called the classic, but I think the classic is actually just the sans amp bass driver. Yeah, the the first one, right? Yeah. yeah. The ori the original, which is actually something that works fantastic oh, yeah. for kick drum. It works great on snare drums. It works great on whirlies. It's it's just a great, I mean. So Dan's a... face just lit up. So this <laughs> is the shit that I got when Alberto and I hung out a couple weeks ago. <laughs> with like all the, oh my God, I never thought of using that like that. Yeah, dude, you, you get a, you get a, uh, you know, let's say a V kick. <laughs> you go, an S-E-V kick. An SEV kick, best kick drum microphone you can get. Uh, it is actually my favorite. At this point in time, it is my favorite. I was a I was D112 guy for a long time. I was a D12 guy for a long time, then D112, and then once I heard V kick, I was like, I screw this. Uh, <laughs> and well, you take that, 
put it into your, uh, you take that mic line, uh, put it into a molt. One side goes to your preamp, the other side goes into your um, sans amp. Or you can take it after the preamp, depending on how much distortion you want and how much, you know, what you want to do with it. That's two different sounds. Um, and you record both. And then you you play around with phase. Uh, you see how things are going in, and you can move the waves uh, to match. And you can get some cool, cool sounds with a, you know, sans amp on your kick drum. Awesome. awesome. I yeah. love <laughs> Like crazy sounds. Just messing around with phase, it does crazy shit. Give us more. Uh, <laughs> give us more. More, more. Let's see. I well, I always when I'm mixing, I always use a Sansom plugin on bass in parallel. So I, you know, I really drive that honk, um, mid-rangey stuff because I want it to distort, and then you blend that in with your drive. You know, your either your DI or your you have a DI and a bass amp. Live you put that sans amp thing in, which I also do live. Um, and the bass, you don't have to have the, your bass so loud. You hear every single note. Uh, because that mid-range is so, you know, compressed and distorted, you hear every single note. And you can tell, your ear can tell that, oh, it's a bass and it's that low note. But you don't need all that super low end information in the mix. And now you have a very present bass. You hear everything it's doing. You you know, uh, you can, you don't have to worry about having all that extra low end and all that stuff. And it's wow. it just sits there. And I and, and I use it, you know, live as well. And one one thing that's always been an issue with me is like you go to a live show. And you can't understand exactly what the bass is doing. Have you have you guys ever noticed this? Oh yeah. Oh, all the time. I, I I'm a bass player, and I kind of hyper focus on it. Yeah. Uh, I sometimes just forget. Not the lack of articulation. Yeah. Exactly. And one thing that really really bummed me out is that you know 2019 we got to tour uh, with Cheryl opening for Phil Collins, and I'm a huge Lee Sklar fan. I mean. Fuck Phil Collins. I I just wanted to see Lee Sklar play. His, yeah. he's a I monster. did the same thing when I, I saw him in Newark, and I, I just focused on Lee Sklar the whole time. Yeah, well, we did all these shows, and I would go out there, and I'd be like, well, I know what he's playing, but it's not like not like the record. You know, that you can, you know, Lee Sklar has that sound, and you can hear his notes and how fat his eighth notes are. You know, just... He has this thing that's amazing, you know, and it's like, well, no, it's not really there. I can't hear it. I mean, everything sounded great, but, you know, there's this constant. It's always been in my head. It's like, what is up with the bass? I want to hear that bass. And through experimenting, I found out that if you overdrive it, you can hear it without it sounding overdriven. Yeah. It becomes very present, but it doesn't sound like it's, a distorted bass because that's one thing i noticed like oh whenever it's distorted i can really hear it it cuts through everything right so 
just blending. You know, we use um, uh, Yamaha desks and they have like amp simulators in them. So I do like a parallel uh, channel with the with overdrive on the desk huh. and that's that's what i have live and the and and that's how you get well. the articulation that's yeah great. yeah it's uh yeah it's same thing with uh whirlies we have three whirlies on stage with cheryl wow yeah <laughs> one is wireless it comes in and out and uh, you know, there's two on each, and you know, you could you could never really, really tell exactly. And, and this is something the tour manager mentioned to me, like, man, you know, I hear it's there, but it's not like there. I want that word. You know, you see someone on the big screen playing the damn whirly. I want to hear the whirly. Yeah. Right. Like, I think I know exactly what we need for this. Sansam. Sansam. <laughs> Or whatever the amp simulator is that Yamaha has in it. This episode has been brought to you by Tech 21. Dude. We'll have to make a call after this. Yes. Tell them I love them. <laughs> Send me a That's... box of gifts. My birthday is September 21st. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I love whatever they make. Or, you know, it's just. And the plugin, you know, that comes with Pro Tools. The little Sans Amp plugin is fantastic. It's awesome. I think we've we've probably toyed around. You know, I know. God, I've owned a half a dozen of them. Um, they they find their way in and out of my life. I know Dan has been playing them. We both migrated to the heart key based uh, base driver. No, what, what's that heart key one called? It's the the V V something base driver. Yeah, I, it's, I forget. It, it actually gives us just a little more growl, um, but again, it, that the growl is the articulation. Yeah, you know, one of our favorite bass players, um, Daryl Jennifer from the Bad Brains. I mean, the guy was a monster player, and you heard everything he did. Nothing got lost in the song. Actually, that whole band. You know why? Again, jazz guys. Jazz guys. Yeah. yeah. Jazz guys. Well, you, you know what was very interesting to me was to listen to multi. You know, remember when those multi tracks leaked a bunch of years ago, uh, and and you could get like this Marvin Gaye track, mm -hmm. uh, and and listen to individual channels. The isolated yeah, Isol channels, yeah. And then you know, I got that thing, and somebody sent me this Pro Tool sessions, or or brought this to the studio. I was like, dude, you got to listen to this shit. And you know, there's two drums and the guitar sound like shit, but it's you put everything together, it's like fantastic. Right, right. Yeah. But you isolate things and it's like, what the fuck were they thinking? Well, James Jamerson's bass, it's like nasty. It's yeah. this horrible sound. And that's when I got the idea in my head. I was like, Oh. Maybe that's what's missing. It needs to sound like shit to sound good. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Because you mix that with the with the drums, and it's like, oh, well, all you hear is that badass bass thing every single note, and he's, you know, he's playing a lot of them, and it's like, oh, but it sounds nasty. I mean, well, maybe maybe it was a mistake. Maybe they didn't care. I I don't know, 
but yeah, that that's what you know sparked that idea in my head that oh, I need to distort the the space to make it cut through, and I started experimenting with it live uh, with this rock band I toured with and with other artists. You know, even even though they weren't rock bands, I would experiment and be like, oh, yeah, now I can hear the bass. Nice. Anyway. <laughs> That's uh. So, th- one of the things that uh, in my limited experience recording, uh, the the focus on the whole just always seems to work better, and it's not something that uh, in an age where everyone tracks individually and gets your sounds individually and you set up everything individually, uh, I think a lot gets lost. Uh, it seems like whenever my bass sound or guitar sound sounds terrible to me, it always works in the mix. And uh, that's not something that I ever would have thought was how it should be. I'm not a recording guy. I never have been, unfortunately. Um, I leave that to James and to others. (laughs) And I leave it to Alberta. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's uh, so what do you, as far as uh, not just the gear that you've managed to, to record and see on stage, but what, when, what board would be your like your dream board what would be the thing if you could be on anything at any time what would it be like is it something that you are on is there something out there that you... uh dream desk ssl 4000 g plus automation that's my that's my desk you know it's it's uh you know it's the, for some people it's the strat for some people it's the les paul from telecast SSL 4000 G plus with automation. That's my thing. That's my sound. Yeah, that's um, why I was curious. I, uh... um, f- for mixing, there's nothing like it. Um, and for tracking, I do like API desks and I do like uh, old Neves. Not the, you know, Neve. <laughs> So when, once Rupert sold Neve and went to do the Focusrite stuff, uh, they they hired different guys over there and they started doing all these different projects and created the V series and the VR VRP V whatever and whatever they do now. That's a totally different company, and I'm not a big fan of what all of that is. But the vintage stuff, the 80 series, and you know. Uh, the, the 1073s, 1081s, mm-hmm. um, 1066s, there's uh, 1064s. I mean, there's a shit ton of 10s. And all that stuff is really amazing. But it doesn't work for everything. But it's it, it's really it's really great. And we, Cheryl has 20, no, 18. Yeah, she has 20. But 18 are installed. We don't have the extra two slots. We have 18, um, 18 1066s and two 1070s. No, 16 1066s and four 1073s. Original. Wow. <laughs> um, yes, and they do sound amazing. Oh, and, yeah. and she has a little uh, baby API 1608, so you get the API sound. Um, 
so that's you know for recording i mean that's some of my favorite stuff i never thought I mean, the ssl stuff is fine i recorded a bunch through it but it's not like oh my god this is amazing you know that the, the old neve stuff is like oh shit this is this is pretty amazing well it's um, pure right yeah I mean, what's yeah. coming through it is giving you pure analog yeah content. and it's got this you know the tr transformers and all this you know beautiful coloring to it and and the api has its own thing too you know the api it's a rocking sound you know guitars sound amazing through an api bass sounds amazing through through an api it has all this built-in low end like huge low end. it's it's very cool um on the newer side you don't have to use your own eqs like i do yeah. which is overusing them if yeah has never heard anything i've ever recorded <laughs> But on you know the newer stuff, uh, Shadow Hills makes a badass preamp. Uh, I've used that a whole bunch, um, and you know, with all that Neve stuff, what we've found is what sounds best for Cheryl on most of those rocking tracks is uh, API pre and a distressor. Yeah. And she has like four vintage uh, 1176s. She has a Fairchild. She has uh, LA-2A. All the vintage stuff you can think of, she has that. And then we tried that and it's like, hmm, and that sounds better. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff we've done has been through an SM7. Huh. <laughs> hey, there was a reason why Frank Sinatra used to use it. SM7? Yeah, late in his career. Really? Yeah. I didn't know wow. that. I always thought he was a 47 guy. Well, earlier in his career. Yeah. She has a really, really amazing U47 that we've been using for like uh, ballads and things, you know, like that. But, uh, yeah, that Cheryl Crow sound you want to hear is SM7. Wow. It's just like, yeah, that's the right thing. That it's stuff like that. It makes me, it, it, it's great to hear, but like sad to hear at the same time. Cause I will never make an SM seven sound that way. <laughs> I dude, it's not, well, there's nothing done to it. You know, it's a preamp, a compressor set at uh 10 to one and slow attack, slowest attack, fastest release. I guess they call yeah. it op opto mode or whatever on the distressor. I don't think the gear is the problem in my case. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now that we're talking about Dan's vocals, um, Alberto, tell us about the biggest disaster, technical disaster that you encountered in the studio. Uh, you like the way I went from your vocals to disaster. <laughs> they qualify. Technical disasters. Let's see. Um, well, I've done a live recording where someone lost their voice. Uh, who it's, was it? It sounded like this. Oh, shit. <laughs> I've actually done that 
several times. How do people you get, get that sound? You know, it's, it's a live DVD, you know. People have to go up there and they get stressed out. Young well, they, they didn't pull like a kiss and then went back in the studio and overdubbed the, yeah. the vocals? Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, or you grab stuff from rehearsals and stretch it out and compress and make it make it happen Magic. um yeah stuff like that so yeah. we've now figured out you're a you're a mechanic because you can <laughs> fix things and you're a magician because you're able <laughs> you're able to pull ghost sessions together oh dude i've done so like i have done so many um live dvds that have ended up in like Oh, so much. It turns out to be so much work. That's like that thing right there is my Grammy nomination for a, a live DVD I did right before I left uh, Brazil. Very proud of it because it's this wonderful singer's uh, 40th uh, anniversary of her career. And she wanted to do this big show and it was a big show. And one of her most famous songs had uh, featured artists and they fucked up that song so bad. <laughs> I mean, it was the craziest shit you've ever heard. The whole thing was fucked. Uh, parts missing, wrong thing here. Wrong, I mean, it was oh. just a mess. And this guy did not notice that everything got fucked up. As soon as he was done, he got in his car and left. Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. And somehow we rebuilt that motherfucker in studio. And got and, a Grammy nomination. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I mean, yeah. A lot of that. That's so great. Yeah. A lot of a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> so what about uh I don't know how much longer we're going to be doing this. Uh, I, I have a question. Go, so go. I usually, it's one that I wrap up my questions with. Okay. Uh, and I just like to ask it. And I think it'll be really interesting with you. Desert Island gear. Like, usually we're talking to guitar players. They have the guitar they'd choose. They have the amp they'd choose. If If you only had, like, one thing you could use two things you could use i don't know how we would it would translate to to the realm of of man i'll mixing. tell you i'll tell you this and i'll be very honest if i wasn't a desert island i would enjoy the heck out of the breeze and the waves <laughs> 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 and all the silence in the world all right so let's for, first off that's the right answer spoken so like the guy that uh <laughs> Spoken like the guy that just finished talking about the disasters he has to listen to. That's right. Okay, so let's say we're sending Alberto out on a mercenary front of house gig. He can take three things with him. Whatever's going to be on the other end, it could be a shit board with a shit line array and, and like... It's it's okay. It's convention hall in Asbury Park, which has the worst acoustics of any venue I've ever been in. Okay. So Alberto gets to take three things with him. 
to that gig? What does he take? I take a lake processor so I can EQ the shit out of that room and get it under control. Yeah. I take an awesome uh, system engineer. <laughs> hey, not allowed. Next. Piece of gear. Has to be gear. Uh, a smart rig. Can it be the can it be the whole rig with the computer and the measuring microphone and all that yeah. stuff? We'll, we'll allow it. The, the one thing. And I don't know. I'll I'll call Tony over at SE and have him send me a little care package. That's right. <laughs> SE mics. That's the right answer. Dude. I mean, yeah. I use them because I like them. I don't have to. You know, we can use whatever we want. There's no. We're not bound to any contracts or, you know, Cheryl isn't, as she was for years, a sure artist. Yeah. She's not anymore. And we constantly do the research to find better things. It's a never-ending process over there. And we found these mics, and they keep sending us stuff to try, and it's like, yeah, that's better than what we've had. So, you know, uh, the most shocking was obviously the the v7 capsule that she's been using um you know and, and that's i mean that's probably probably the desert island microphone at this point for me and for a lot of people you know it's it's great i've recorded acoustic guitar with it i've recorded electric guitar with it um her vocals and um you know it's it's cool it's a great utility piece. It well, is. On that note, man, thank you so much for joining us. This was a very different type of podcast for us. Oh. Um, and we enjoyed it. No, no, in a good I way. I hope I didn't bore you to death. but <laughs> No, I, I loved it. No, I loved man. It. Your journey is, is, is an amazing one. And for all of our musician um, listeners and friends who are going to listen to this, we all take for granted our paths um, and you really had to hustle your path to get where you are. And, um, and, you know, we know each other for a short time, you know, a couple of years now. Uh, can you believe it's been? A, a I know, I know. <laughs> Crazy. Um, but I'm super proud of you and I'm proud to be able to call you a friend because it's, oh, it's man. pretty interesting, man. It's, it's really interesting. <laughs> and by the way, just so everybody knows, Alberto wakes up early in the morning. He makes his wife breakfast in the morning before she goes off to the hospital. <laughs> I do, yeah. She's a first responder. She's a, a she's there making it happen, and uh, and he feels uh, that it's his job to make sure she's taken care of. So on top of everything else, he is <laughs> he's an amazing. amazing dude. Trust me. <laughs> No, she's amazing. She goes and works to freaking ICU 12 hours a day. I mean, shit. <laughs> I could I, do that. I spent, uh, I spent th almost three months, about two, two and a half months in an ICU. And uh, it, she's a nurse, ICU yep. nurse. Yep. It, I was 100% reliant on them, obviously, intensive care unit. But it, I, I have immense, immense respect. Uh, yeah. Literally saved my life and took care of me for two and a half months. That's a, ICU nurses are, are they, they are the real rock stars yeah. in this world. 
Like, Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I've experienced it firsthand, unfortunately. But uh, yeah. well, absolutely. Well, shout out to ICU nurses, especially Mrs. Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> all right alberto thanks so much for joining us man. thank you so thanks, much guys. great conversation i learned a ton and uh we'll see you soon thanks all right thanks man all right